This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning on this beautiful Easter Sunday. This is Marianne Ritchie, and I am your radio doctor. This is the day when many people welcome the spring and take a stroll in their most dapper apparel. And as you choose your Easter bonnet, make sure you pay attention to the comfort of your feet. Because ladies, you may pay a big price for wearing those giant high heels. Joining us today is Dr. James Zacharia, a doctor of podiatric medicine, board certified foot and ankle surgeon. He's a graduate of the Pennsylvania College of Podiatric Medicine, completed a residency in surgery, and is affiliated with the Mainline Health Hospitals. His work includes diabetic wound care, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, foot and ankle trauma, podiatric surgery, and sports medicine. He is also a personal friend of the Easter Bunny and makes sure he's able to hippity-hop all the way to Candyland. Welcome, Jim. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Jim, so many topics to cover in foot health. Let's uh, cover the most common issues that patients face in your practice. How about we start with bunions? They're always fun. (laughs) I would love that. Uh, Basically, two trends I thought were bunions. We'll start with kind of how we feel they, they, they occur. Most of us are under the assumption that high heels or, or flats can be the predominant cause of the bunion, but we found really it comes back to kind of genetic predisposition. You kind of have to have a family member, your aunt, your uncle. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers that aunt with that big bump sticking out of their dress shoe trying to cram it in there. Um, oh, that's sure. kind of that's kind of what we look at first. The secondary influence is, yeah, if their primary shoe Uh, tends to be a high heel or even a flat, that can actually kind of accentuate or or speed up the process of the bunion formation. So So, when do you decide to operate? I guess the person decides how much pain they can tolerate. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, in anything that I do, I really, uh, I I look for a quality of life, what what I can do to improve their quality of life. And if things like shoe modification, um, you know, say a toe spacer to bring the toe over, Topical anti-inflammatories basically to reduce some of the pain, and if there's any you know swelling in the area, 
if those things kind of fail and, and trying to make the patient feel better, then you start to kind of lean in the direction of, you know, surgical intervention. Uh, again, my whole theory is try everything conservative first. So if it ends up that they knew, need anything done surgically, they're really happy with their outcome. Mm -hmm. I bet a lot of people are new to topical anti-inflammatories. Tell us a little about that, if you would. So one that you may see now, it's actually over the counter, um, is something called Voltaren Gel, which is, you know, diclofenac sodium. It's basically something they took in oral form, like an, an Advil or a leave, and mm -hmm. they, basically, they basically put it into, you know, a cream or lotion form. It's nice in the foot and angle because it, most people don't have a lot of fat in those areas, at least, at least the people that I treat. And everything's pretty predominantly you know, prominent, the nerves and everything else. So penetration-wise, the topples are pretty effective in kind of reducing some of the pain and swelling associated with, uh, with the day-to-day -day bunion deformities. Good to know because I certainly see a lot of upset stomachs and ulcers from people that have to take oral advil motrin those meds jim what about plantar warts i'm sure you see a lot of them yeah i mean plantar warts are, are predominantly we see probably i'd say the top five uh things we're lucky enough to kind of look at they age range from anywhere from three months of age to to 80 years of age and, and basically what causes them it's just a virus in the skin and I, and I tell folks if i can swab anyone's skin and you're going to come up with some kind of viral pathogen on the skin itself we mm -hmm. tend to find them in areas of pressure, like under the ball of the foot, um, or we call the plantar or bottom, the heels, anywhere there's a lot of repetitive friction um, over time. Also, people that perspire a lot, that have that chronic, you know, sweaty foot. And we also find a lot with the adolescents, especially with, with females, my daughter included. I should probably be mad I'm saying this, but um, <laughs> when she was 11 to 14, she was really... Um, really affected, you know, playing three sports, soccer, basketball, you know, the amount of perspiration really created an issue that she was getting multiple kind of warts and that were actually painful on, on the bottoms of her feet. Oh, sure. And I, when you said age three months to 80, I'm thinking what soccer mom would have her baby playing soccer at three months of age, but I guess they do. <laughs> so I know there are lots of DIY, <laughs> DIY cures. I heard of one using black duct tape. Yeah, you know, I, and it actually does work. I mean, the whole idea is really to kind of suffocate or, or cause trauma to the ward itself. And, you know, duct tape, because of the, you know, we call occlusiveness, it basically cuts off the air supply and the, the work kind of desiccates and goes away. Other common things that we use in the office are things called canthrone, which is a type of acid. It's, it's derived from the African beetle. So the African beetle actually has no nor predators because it secretes it from its shell and, and they have a hard time ingesting because the acid's 100% basically acid, no other water or anything else mixing with it. Um, other things we do topically are basically antivirals. Uh, one's called Aldera. It's, it treats other you know types of warts um, depending on where it's at on the body. And I recommend these for people that have multiple areas because to me putting acid on you know 20 to 30 areas one is gonna you're not gonna make a friend you may not have a return visit <laughs> either oh. and likely you're not gonna get rid of all the warts so that's another sure. kind of way of getting rid of them there's a, a doc out that uses actually different types of flowers like marigolds um, I you know I haven't employed this in our practice yet it's something that we're kind of looking into but something in eight in the flower creates an inflammatory response. And that also is another way they're really trying to get rid of these. Um, I don't like, as a side note, to cut them out because you tend to get scarring after you're done. It's sure. really hard 
to control the depth. So for me, what you can do is treat them so that the treatments aren't, you know, real painful. And then, you know, if it might take one or two treatments to get them back in the office, but through the whole course, they can still maintain a good quality of life with middle, you know, little to no pain. And I'm sure you're careful about cutting feet because if it leaves a permanent sensitive scar, that's no help. So the African beetle, is that the one that sings, I want to hold your foot instead of I want to hold your hand? Yes, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it, it, it does help. my crazy mind works? I love it. I love Plantar it. Plantar fasciitis. Isn't that the uh, condition that hurts the first step you take in the morning? Absolutely. This is probably the most common thing that we treat in, in the practice doing this over two get decades. I would say, you know, 40 to 50% of the folks that come in as an initial patient, this is their presenting cause. My first step out of bed in the morning is excruciating. Then I could kind of walk, you know, walk it out. So I think it's okay. So I haven't come in for nine months because I thought it was going to go away on its own. Um, it's, it's very, very common. People are, are a lot more active these days. And what I found over this last 14 months, uh, because people are doing, there's nothing else to do but walk and people are, are working sure. from home, working from home more often now. So they're doing a lot more walking and it's just really a stress or a strain to a ligament on the bottom of your foot. And it doesn't heal because people don't stay off their feet. There's no way to do that. Mm-hmm. So common thing, go I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so it's the sole of the foot in the back, at the, the very flat part at the back, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually a continuation of you know the Achilles tendons, your primary mover. This kind of comes off of the end of that, and it extends out to the base of the toes. And it basically acts as a stabilizer for the arch. Uh, and it's one of those things, stretching, again, topical anti-inflammatories. We had talked about the Voltaren. Um, CBD and stuff along those lines reduce inflammation. NSAIDs and physical therapy uh, are things that we try that are really, really effective in getting better in your office. Mm-hmm. And I guess rest in between runners. We have about a minute and we can start talking about sure. runners. Their most common injuries, how often should they change their shoes? Uh, every three months, I recommend if, if they're doing a 10 to 12 mileage per week. Uh, anything more than that, if they're doing 12 to 15, it could, it could be every two months. Things we look for are shin splints uh, or inflammation in the front of the legs, stress fractures, um, or anything that's going to be like an overuse injury, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. These are all we call overuse injuries from people that uh, run, especially on hard terrain or uneven surfaces too. Could you explain shin splints? Then we'll take a little break. Yeah, simply it's a muscle imbalance where you have this big uh, muscle in the back called your, your calf muscle. And then you have these small muscles in front, the, your, you know, we call them your extensor tendons that pull the foot up and down. They basically get overmatched because of the tightness in that posterior group. So basically what we encourage is increasing flexibility to reduce the pull of that posterior group, then balances out the exertion that the tendons have on the front of the leg. They actually cause um, shearing or actually can cause bony chasing consistent with fracture if the stress gets too much. Wow. So stretching is so important. Let's take a little break Mm -hmm. and we'll be right back with Dr. Jimmy Z. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And Dr. Jim Zacharia joins us on Your Radio Doctor. Jim, let's talk about diabetes. It's a big topic. What are the most common complications of diabetes that lead to foot and ankle issues? Uh, the most common things that I see, Marianne, are you know, something called neuropathy and also you know, decreased circulation or 
kind of poor blood flow to the extremities, especially um, the feet are number one affected. And so neuropathy means that the nerves that feed and give sensation, there's decreased sensation. But I know from even patients I see, it's not always decreased sensation. Sometimes it's a burning or even hypersensitivity. Am I right? Yeah, there's there's two there's two types that I treat. I, I kind of call them positive and negative neuropathy. The mm. positive neuropathy tends to be where you get pain out of proportion, uh, pain at rest, especially if they have difficulty in sleeping because it tends to be more active when they're trying to be more sedentary. The negative neuropathy is basically where you can, and don't try this at home, literally you know, take something sharp and drive it from the bottom to the top of the foot and they won't even feel it. Oh. So their, their ability to detect any pain um, is is basically gone or absent. So their risk for, you know, for ulcerations and other things are, are very, very high with that we call quote-unquote negative neuropathy. So it's bad enough to have one or the other. Because some people have just neuropathy. Other people have low blood flow from arteriosclerosis. But together, that spells trouble. Um, what would you say that um, causes foot ulcers the most? I would say the most common would be, you know, 80% of the ulcers that we see definitely have a, a majority of the neuropathy as its biggest kind of predisposing factor. You know, the misnomer is not every diabetic or, or folks with neuropathy, it's the number one patient we see, has poor circulation. They might have adequate blood flow, but the, the function of the nerves are so diminished that this is their biggest risk factor with things like hammer toes from muscle imbalance, um, loss of arch height. Uh, also, decreased pain and, and pressure sensation that we can check in the office. Um, also, textural changes that we see with the neuropathy too are you know dry skin, cracked skin. These are areas that can open small little areas that allow for you know the infections to kind of penetrate. So, my feeling that's the primary cause. Circulation is one that we do see that could come with age, and we call it you know the maturation process. I like to point out. Uh, and I have, there's two terms that I like to use for the circulation. There's macro um, and there's micro. Macro to me are the bigger vessels that kind of go all the way to the midfoot. Anything beyond kind of the middle part of your foot to your toes, I tend to call that the microcirculation, the smaller vessels. There's the one, they're the ones that tend to be uh, calcified or occluded. So people always say, hey, listen, I got a good pulse in my foot. I said, yeah, you got a good pulse in your foot, but you don't have anything getting to your toes. So there are common areas that we see break down the tips of the toes, you know, the bottom of the toes, you know, where the toes meet the foot. These are areas where we really see um, majority of our problems. And also the heel is another big area because the heel, you know, heel strike thousands of times per day, every single day, sure. puts your body at risk for, for a breakdown. And again, if you're insensate or you don't have the ability to detect that little crack um, in the heel or fissure in the heel, um, it could take overnight later they can get infections, and it, it's a very kind of hard area to clear. So it's a one-two punch. The nerve endings are, are damaged for diabetes. That causes the, the flexion of um, and the muscle tone to change, so you lose the arch of your foot. And if you don't feel it because of decreased sensation and then um, decreased sweating, so that allows infection to penetrate into dry skin and then delayed um, healing because of lower blood flow, it spells trouble. And so the big message here is we, what, maybe 20% of ulcers end up with amputations. What a horrible thought. And how do we avoid that? Yeah. I, key thing is basically a good examination. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I recommend diabetics at least two to three times a year come in for basically call kind of the routine evaluation. 
you know, check their nails to see if the nail quality is good. Check their circulation. Also do a neurological exam where you're checking their, their pain, their sharp dull. And also check to make sure that people are aware that when you move a toe, is it going up or down? We call that proprioception. Um, check between the toes. The skin check's important because there are areas between the toes that these folks cannot see because a lot of diabetics also have retinopathy where they have poor vision. Uh, check out their shoe gear. Make sure the shoes fit properly because we're going back to that never-ending neuropathy. They're not aware if there's any pressure errors or if the shoe fits correctly. So any reddened areas, any marks on the toes, these are things that you can basically prevent it before it becomes an issue. So being proactive is Marion's my take home for everyone. Yeah. And so we want to avoid amputation by having free, treat yourself to frequent evaluations. See your podiatrist. So Jim, I know ulcers, they can be acute, maybe from ill-fitting shoes or chronic where they're an area prone to pressure. And we're thinking decreased sensation, decreased blood flow. You want patients to watch if they have an area on their foot or ankle that becomes warm, tender, swollen. And what do you really worry about? We basically are looking for an underlying infection. Um, things we look for, exposed bone. Once you detect anything that's exposed for anything greater than 24 to 48 hours, Marion, you really think there's going to be something called osteomyelitis, which is basically an infection of the bone with these more chronic wounds that have been longstanding and been present for, you, know, you say, three to four months, and sometimes even longer. Um, a lot of times, so quiet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll, you'll do x-rays in the office. The x-rays, unfortunately, on, uh, on a lot of occasions won't show any bony changes consistent with a, with a bone infection. So there's other imaging modalities that we look for that kind of we call the gold standard. Um, my feeling, number one, would probably be an MRI. Certain cases you can't do the MRI if they have a pacemaker or other things. Mm -hmm. Then we would use a bone scan. And these are more sensitive and specific to really assess the integrity of the bone to make sure there's no infection in there. And I guess you always make sure that you check for other causes of neuropathy, like low vitamin B12 levels, which can come for different reasons. Maybe people have celiac and they don't absorb all their nutrients, or maybe they drink excess alcohol, but B12 and folate as well um, can cause neuropathy. So you hate the word amputation. When do you decide, I've done everything. Or actually, I want to go back a step. When somebody does have osteomyelitis or infection in the bone, this is why we're telling our listeners, please pay attention. It means hospital and intravenous antibiotics, yes? Yeah, it's our first line is they, if they present in the office and, you know, the foot's red, hot, and so on, you suspect they may have an underlying, you know, abscess or collection of bacteria, we absolutely directly admit them to the hospital. We start on IV antibiotics uh, empirically right away, and then we get infectious disease on if we have to tailor the antibiotics more specifically for whatever organism we culture out. And the culture is basically just a sample of, of what bacteria is present in the wound. From there, you know, imaging-wise, it's definitely an MRI or bone scan to determine if we have to do anything immediate as far as we call debridement. That's basically cleaning up all the non-viable tissue. Um, and we do that a lot of times what we'll do is we'll kind of do that sequentially where we get them out of harm's way by kind of getting rid of the, the most kind of the gruesome part of the wound where we get the bacterial count low, we get the good healthy tissue, and then we kind of live the fight another day with the MRI to see if there's any bony involvement or if there's any infection present deeper. Uh, that would determine whether or not we'd have to do anything as far as amputation. Uh, our theory is that's the last thing we'd like to do. If we can preserve anatomy, um, we'll do everything prior to that. Uh, the, the biggest issue is if they're septic and we cannot clear the infection um, from their body to make sure they're whole, 
that's what it tends to lead more to the amputation as far as the outcome goes. So for our listeners, sepsis means that the bacteria has traveled from the skin or the bone or wherever the the nidus or the site of infection is into the bloodstream, which can then cause damage to kidneys and, and all kinds of issues. So you really, as you say, you're sequential in how you evaluate the patient. And if you do have success by starting the IV antibiotics, cleaning out the wound, then you send the person home for several weeks on IV antibiotics. So it's so important for our patients listening to get your feed checked often and watch yourself. So, so Jim, ways to decrease the likelihood of diabetes leading to these awful things. What would you tell people? Well, the one that's most important to me is, you know, avoid smoking. Yes. The diabetes the diabetes already affects the small vessels, which we were kind of calling that microvasculature. Smoking also constricts the vessels to further uh, reduce the amount of blood to the feet. You know, avoid bare feet, especially, you know, on, on asphalt, the, down the shore, the beaches. These are areas where they can become blistered and become painful, and that small kind of situation can create problems with amputations, unfortunately. I tell folks to test the, you know, the bath water with their forearm, um, not their feet, because if they're decreased sensation, they're not going to be aware if the water's too hot. Mm-hmm. Also, trimming, trimming toenails, I like to, I say go to a specialist. That's what we do. I call it the old educated pedicure. Let us, <laughs> let us, let us shape the nails for you. Let us take care of it. Yeah. And if there's, you know, you have an issue with regular shoes, there's always shoes we can be molded for. There's shoes made just for you. And check your feet out daily. Check to make sure your, you know, your shoes and socks are clean and that you change them daily. And also check inside the shoes for any dry blood or other things that you may not feel, but visually you can see. And the number one, besides smoking, continue with good sugar control. Keep your sugars great, watch your weight, and exercise. And you know, Jim, I didn't realize this in my reading. Um, metformin, which is the oral medication for diabetes that sometimes people start with if they don't need insulin, can cause decreased absorption of vitamin B12. So that can compound the issue as well. Thank you, Jim. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more on foot care. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. And now we welcome a grateful patient of Dr. Zachariah. Jill, welcome to the show. I know that you have dealt with diabetes for some years, and tell us what brought you to see Dr. Zachariah in 2015. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm, a, I'm very happy to be here and to talk about Dr. Z, Dr. Zachariah and his practice and my experience with him. Um, actually, it was back in 2014. Um, I went to see Dr. Zachariah. I was on the kidney transplant list, and one of the criteria was to not be able or not to have any open wounds prior to the surgery or else that would prevent me from being able to move forward with my kidney transplant. So when I saw Dr. Zachariah, I have to tell you that he first put me at ease. He was very caring and I had a small wounds on my left uh, foot on one of my toes. So he assured me and he helped me get better and Long story short is I was able to move forward with my kidney transplant. The wound cleared up. I had no infections. I had um, great treatment from him, and that's how I moved on with the transplant and seeing him, and he made sure that he gave me the treatment to do. He followed up. I saw him on regular appointments, and 
I that was the story for that one for back in thousand and yeah. two thousand fourteen. And as we know, after you're, you've got the gift of a kidney transplant, you're on immunosuppressive, so they want to make sure you have no speck of infection anywhere before you start. So then, in 2016, you thought you had a sprained ankle, and you had symptoms. Your ankle was red and swollen and sore, so that makes sense. But we know that diabetes can cause bony changes, and tell us about that. Yeah, sure. Um, back in 2016, then, I actually started to have a wound um, on the sole of my right foot this time. And I do have a history of neuropathy, and I do have diabetes. So at the time, I didn't feel the sole, uh, the ulcer that I had on the bottom of my foot. And then in addition to that, uh, mm-hmm. I had the brittle bones, and I had the breakdown of the ankle. So th- at the time, the ankle was red and swollen, and I first thought possibly I sprained it or I broke it, but actually it was a flare-up of something called Charcot foot that I developed through the years. So I also went to see Dr. Zacharia for that, and um, there are certain types of situations that it could lead to, or there's something else that he, he tried to prevent um, the worst-case scenario would be the surgery, or worst case of all is the amputation. So what Dr. Zacharia did was he, I saw him on a regular basis, and he put me in a boot that I basically wore for four months. I had constant follow-up appointments with him, and then uh, we tried to control the flare-up so it wouldn't lead to further devastation, if you want to call that, and eventually everything went back to normal. It was a long haul. It was a lot of uh, follow-ups, a lot of appointments, but then eventually um, it cleared itself up. I mean, it's been taking almost a year um, for that all, for that to happen. But um, I'm happy to say that I'm I'm actually in a sneaker right now, and I am able to walk and do a little bit of exercise, but I am always seeing him. I follow up with Dr. Zachary on regular appointments, and it's nothing to mess around with with diabetes and neuropathy and with your feet. That's all I have to say. Well, Jill, thank you, because it's it's really hard to, to relive those uh, moments in your mind, uh, the fear, the discomfort, uh, even though you couldn't feel, just thinking that you're threatened with surgery, that you could lose your toe or, or part of your foot. And um, I think people hear you say it takes work and patience and being faithful to follow the doctor's instructions. And it's pretty glorious to hear you're wearing sneakers and walking and going to the gym. So, Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. I think a lot of people really heard what you had to say, and that's helpful to so many. Okay, can I just do a little plug-in, though, for Dr. Zacharia? Sure, we have 10 seconds. Okay, just that I've I've seen a lot of doctors in my past, and he is such a great doctor. He's such a great bed side manner and he really cares if, if anyone i'm telling you wants to see a doctor who really cares and is fighting for you in your corner and go see dr zacharia because he is the best Aww. that's all i have to say he's a great doctor thanks jill sure take care okay and we're back with dr zacharia jim that is one grateful patient and you deserve a lot of credit and i'm going to put a little asterisk and several stars next to your name uh with my own personal experience because my dear husband who is a very large oak tree a sweet one uh with size 16 feet that's a lot of work for anybody uh who takes care of feet and ankles but my husband always says you can't build a cathedral on the foundation of an outhouse (laughs) <laughs> that's that's exactly right. <laughs> Very well said. And he's had a lot of issues, and, and you've given him his life back. So uh, I would wholeheartedly support Jill in everything fantastic she says about you. Oh, Marion, thank you. Uh, so thank you for that, Jim. 
Necrotizing fasciitis, tell us what that means, how does it present, and how do you treat it? Well, in, in, our, in our scope of practice, it's the most devastating thing that we see. Uh, it basically, you're, you're only going to probably run into it two or three times a year, and it's probably the nastiest and, again, most devastating infection that we see. Uh, basically, it presents like a lot of other uh, infections in the foot, but it's rapidly progressive, and it almost presents like flu. They initially have nausea, they have some vomiting, they can have diarrhea, lethargy, and also they have complaint of thirst is one of the things we see a lot of. They're always very thirsty, and they present with a progressive, aggressive infection that tends to really spread, and it's basically called flesh-eating bacteria. It basically necrosis and eats everything in its path. Mm-hmm. And so necrotizing for our listeners means sort of gangrenous or, or cells that are dying, right? Necrosis. Yes. And fasciitis is connective tissue. Would you say it's under the skin or near muscle? How would you explain to people what that means? Yeah, real easy. The way it likes to travel is between the, mus- the muscle layers. Muscles, mm-hmm. un- under, muscles are basically uh, connected to underlying structures through the fascia. And that's the path. It's like highways, super highways that the bacteria basically spread through an innocent small little area. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic as far as wound size. It could be a small crack or fissure. Once, oh. it, once it gets in, it basically follows the path of least resistance. That's that area kind of between the muscle and the fascia itself. Um, and again, it, it's tough because it likes to hide between those layers. And that's like when we go over the treatment plans, that's why sometimes the IV antibiotics. So, you know, basically with this type of thing, the infection is so rapid and progressive that you literally have to start treatment right away, uh, literally in the golden period within the first 24 hours. And that treatment may consist of, number one, IV antibiotics, number two, aggressive debridements, which means getting rid of the bacterial colonization, getting rid of all the dead tissue so the body doesn't continue to kind of, bacteria continue to feed on all that tissue. And again, really, it is a flesh-eating bacteria. It's basically anything in its path. It went across and and basically devastate and kill. It, it sounds like molten lava that just creeps into cracks and everywhere. It's not welcome. So we talk about Alex Smith, the NFL quarterback from Washington, a replacer Washington, and he suffered a life-threatening injury to his right leg. Seventeen surgeries, but he came back this year in 2020 and he brought the team to an NFC division title. And wasn't he named Comeback Player of the Year? Yeah, Marianne, he was. I mean, it's just one of the most tremendous stories that you know I've heard in my life, let alone my practice career. Um, he went from pretty much they didn't know if he was going to live, let alone preserve his leg. Uh, so, and he had you know the most talented physicians in the area treating him as all you know all these NFL players will have the top quality of care you can get. And through the course of his treatment, he had initially you know initially a stabilization for the the fracture itself because he had a come yeah basically a compound fracture. And they found, which is pretty cool in his case, that most organisms are, are usually a strep or a staph. He actually had a basically a, uh, we call water a water bug, something called Hydrophilus aromonis. There's no quiz on this, oh. just so you know. <laughs> oh my god! This is very this is very typical because it's it's not really considered an aggressive infection. Um, they had a hard time covering him with the IV antibiotics because they, this kind of particular bug had a high resistance rate so they had to basically take him back 17 different times take his whole front of his leg basically take cut all the front of his leg off and do a huge muscle flap from his other leg and do basically microsurgery 
to reconnect all those small intimate vessels to try again to number one save his life but also to save his limb because you know football is, is his life it's not just a leg for him it's how yeah. he you know he supports his family. That's who makes him who he is. Sure. So, and his, what, what, uh, so our listeners know a compound fracture means that a broken bone that breaks through the skin and in walk the bugs. Jim, tell us about compression stockings and uh, people that have chronic venous insufficiency, veins that don't bring arteries, bring the blood to tissue and veins bring the blood back to the heart. So if people's veins aren't working well because they're overweight or they have diabetes, tell us what that means and how compression stockings can help. We have about a minute left. Yeah. Yeah. Compression is number one. Elevation is number one. Compression stockings are basically things you put on to help aid or help those insufficient veins work more, you know, more appropriately. They can be anywhere from 10 millimeters of compression, which is a lightweight, all the way up to, to 40 millimeters of compression. And their design is, we call it valvular insufficiency. It means the valves don't close in the vein to push the blood up to the next level. This kind of helps to augment that and improve the ability for the veins to kind of get back to, to the heart and get reoxygenated. Makes sense. So when should you see a podiatrist to get your toenails cut? Maybe I've had a hip replacement and I've been told I should never cut my toenails again. Mary, in my, in my experience, hip replacements, any type of hardware in the body, um, whether it be a knee or hip, number one, it's important because, you know, you don't want to see the infection from being cut uh, on your own. Number two, diabetics, number one, uh, they shouldn't really be getting pedicures. Go, go see a specialist like us. We do a very good pedicure. I do cream. I do lotion. I do everything. Also, I know it's funny, but like for me, I'm getting a little bit of a bonzone or a belly. So it's kind of <laughs> difficult for me. I can't cut my baby toenails. I can get to the rest of them, but I'm having a hard time with that. And eyesight, a lot of the diabetics have, like I said, ret uh, retinopathy. So their eyesight's already skewed. Cataracts are clouding over their vision. And arthritis, a lot of people have bad backs, so they can't reach their toes. So they have no idea what they're cutting. And even if you don't have diabetes, you certainly don't want to get an ingrown toenail. I think of football players that go out and they're running into other 300-pound people. And what if they have a sore toe? I can't even imagine. <laughs> On that note, let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Jimmy Z. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. And in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Jim Zacharia. Jim, tell us about orthotics. What are they? When do I need them? Yeah, orthotics are basically support, uh, supportive devices that we can kind of place into the shoe for people that have either a really flat foot or a very high arch foot. But again, feet that are symptomatic or painful. Um, I, I don't think orthotics for everyone. Uh, I don't think everyone needs orthotics. So I kind of treat them like eyeglasses for the feet. Uh, essentially, when there's problems with knee pain, hip pain, or chronic uh, pain or discomfort in the lower extremity, orthotics may be helpful in giving you additional support to kind of, I call it, realign the tires. I kind of refer to feet as tires. So kind of bring those tires back underneath you to kind of rebalance it, you know, from the ground up. And, and I tell folks that it also realigns your knees, your backs, your hips. So you have to make sure you make the patient aware that not only are we reestablishing a new position for your foot, but we're also reestablishing a new position for all the other joints in your body. That's why it's important that that it's appropriate that they actually need a device themselves. Sure. So I think you should make that into a wrap, Jim. 
you know, like <laughs> I am Dr. Jimmy Z, master of podiatry. Should we go on? Oh, I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, like I like that. that. Yeah, we yeah, can add to that. I so think I that guess the a... message, especially with children, is cover your feet, at least flip-flops, because who knows what we step on, especially people who can't feel it. You said the hot sand on the beach or a hot deck. And tell us about uh, wearing flip-flops too much. That can hurt the top of your foot, yes? Yeah, because anything that has no heel and you have to forcefully hold the shoe on, it's basically going to kind of tax the tendons on top. We call that the extensor tendons. So it's very common that the top of the foot becomes very, very sore and very painful. And we see a lot of people at the end of the summer to come in with this chronic severe pain in the top. And just by shoe modification or going to a closed shoe, it kind of self-remedies. Mm-hmm. And how about cleats? I know that can lead to heel pain maybe. Yeah, well, cleats, you think what a cleats design is. A cleats there to grip and to provide additional contact with the ground. So it's putting a lot more pressure and force onto different muscle groups and different bones, especially in the foot and ankle. We find with kids that are developing, there's a term called apophysitis, which is really just inflammation of the growth plate. And the most common area is in the back of the heel. That's where they, the foot kind of gets bigger. So that the cleat is, you know, one, not as supportive, two, provides you know more grip to the ground which provides more stress to the to the back of the heel so basically i call them growing pains it's one of those things we see a lot with cleats and and kids now play multiple sports sure. when i grew up when i grew up i was allowed to do one thing that's the only place they would take me to you know now these kids are playing three or four sports at a time at a high level yes. so they don't have there's no ability for them to recover so these are common things you see are these growth plate injuries and i know when you see a patient of any age you look at the shoes and see where it's worn well, Jim, thank you so much, and we really appreciate everything we've heard. We didn't even get to hyperbaric oxygen, which is fascinating to me. If people want to learn more about your practice, foot and ankle center at brinmar.com. I'm going to repeat that foot and ankle center at brinmar.com. And Jim, you're the best. You're, you're keeping us all with happy feet. My little grandson likes me to kiss his happy feet. <laughs> um, I want you to be prepared because the next time you're on the show, I'm going to ask you that $64,000 question. What is the cure for stinky feet or why do my feet smell like corn chips? <laughs> Marion, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Take, take care. You too. For your real champion, Christy Pelagi Neald. I call this segment Positive on Purpose. Many of us remember the song by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Teach Your Children. Well, this is the story of a woman who does just that. Christy Neald is a school teacher. She chuckles when she says she's still on maternity leave since the birth of her 11-year-old daughter and later her second daughter. Well, she's still a teacher. It's just a slightly different classroom. Christy says service is what keeps her going, makes her tick, even reduces stress and anxiety, and it led to the creation of her kindness projects. Christy realized what it takes to plan a fairly simple birthday party for a child, the cost of a few decorations, napkins, and plates. What happens in a family that already deals with food insecurity and struggles to have enough staples to get through a regular day? What about their birthday celebrations for children? 
Christy found a place to gather in her community called the Empowering You Center, where she invites people to become kindness ambassadors. She spreads the word, and people bring donations of birthday party essentials, even from the dollar store. Party plates, napkins, candles, cake mix, icing. All of the donations are put on a long table. And as we know, many hands make light work. Each volunteer helps to assemble bags filled with various items to make the perfect birthday celebration. Christy has fine-tuned it so donations are neutral. So the party bag is great for someone of any age or gender. The kindest projects now include Valentine's for veterans, bags of hope for teens entering foster care, and how about shamrocks for seniors who are even more isolated with COVID? Imagine the joy when an elderly person opens a gift bag with fuzzy socks, hand lotion, word puzzles, and a note sharing a message of love. Christy sees the value of her work in many directions. The kitchen table is the meeting place for her board of directors, which includes her two little girls and husband. Of course, that makes Christy the CEO. We smile, but her children will grow into adults who understand the value of service. Her daughter wants to help people with broken hearts, so they bring bags with pink and red tissue and new stuffed animals to hospital patients on cardiac floors. As a mother, a teacher, and a good person, Christy believes the easiest way to attract goodness is to serve. She has a Facebook page called Kindness Ambassadors. Makes it easier for people anywhere to imitate her service model. Kindness projects attract students who want to complete service hours, Boy Scout and Girl Scout troops, sports teams, children preparing for confirmation. She also works with children being homeschooled and moms with play dates. Her work now includes blessing bags for those experiencing homelessness, yellow sunshine bags for people going through chemo. Kindness ambassadors make the bags, Christy delivers them. More recently, she hosted a cookie exchange for local police officers and firefighters. People brought so many cookies, they made 175 trays to deliver to these first responders. Chrissy says there's enough sun for everyone, and the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. We salute you, Christy Pelegi Neald. You're a real champion. Visit the Facebook Kindness Ambassadors or email her at be a kind ambassador at Next gmail. Week we'll feature a superstar GI doctor with a national reputation for everything acid reflux and Barrett's esophagus, Dr. Anthony Infantilino. Special hello and happy Easter to my dear friend, Mrs. Anna Jean Henryhand, one of the most beautiful women on earth whose real beauty comes from within. She fills me with sunshine every time I speak to her. Love you, Anna Jean. Listen to our shows again on yourradiodoctor.net. Sign up for our mailing list. Tell us about a champion. Now take time to enjoy the spring, the time when we celebrate new life, eggs are hatching with new baby birds, flowers are blooming, also an opportunity to reach out to someone and start a relationship over again. Send a note or call someone you haven't seen for a while, because the message of Easter is forgiveness. Stay tuned for Sid Mark and the sounds of Sinatra for spring and fine style, and always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.